right, good morning, church. So I'm uh, not sure that I'm ready to uh, share a message right now. I still want to just proclaim the name Jesus with some music behind me right now. Hey, I, uh, we're in Genesis 48. Get my mind around where we're at. Genesis 48, and um, we only got two chapters left, and we are done with the book of Genesis, which is crazy. So we've spent the entire year here. And so if you have been, uh, not been with us or you're a first-time visitor, we're glad that you're here. And we are going to, I'm going to try my hardest to keep everybody on the same page here. So long story short, uh, my family went through this. Uh, my wife wanted to get our insurance, car insurance, bring the price down. So we got these apps on our phone. And these apps track everything that we do. And uh, it's not going well. I'm going to be honest with you. No, I'm going to be honest with you. But so the thing is, is, we have four people in our family, and I'm in third place. But it really doesn't count because the person who's in fourth place, honestly, I'm not going to say who it is, but honestly, they shouldn't drive. Like, they, they, should, they shouldn't be allowed to drive. In fact, uh, last week, they hit a, a pole in a parking lot. And, and it wasn't a moving pole. It was a standstill pole. They hit a pole in a parking lot. And I was so upset. I'm just, I mean, I'm doing the dad thing. Oh, gave it away. Doing the dad thing. And then on... I don't know, two, Monday or Tuesday night, I w- we were at dinner with friends, and we're in a parking lot. It's a dark parking lot, and my eyes are getting bad. And I drove into a hole. Like, just drove into a hole. And so it's not going well. But what I don't want today, if you haven't been here, is I don't want you to feel like we drive you into a black hole, and you don't understand what's going on. I don't want you to live in that shock. So I'm going to rewind just a little bit, give a short recap of where we are. And then I'm going to tell you what's going to happen today before we even get there. So Joseph was sold by his brothers. We're in this part of Genesis. It's really 25% of Genesis is about Joseph. And so Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery. He's taken to Egypt. Where in Egypt he has some dreams. He becomes the second to Pharaoh. His family, which is all the way back in their homeland, is starving, they're hungry. And so Jacob, Joseph's dad, sends his brothers for food. They go for food, they realize there's plenty. Joseph reveals that it is him, Joseph, their brother. And so then they bring their whole family to Egypt. Now there was a 21-year gap when Joseph was sold into slavery before they reunited. Now they've been in Egypt for 17 years. So this is kind of one of those moments where you can tell in the story that something as big is about to happen if you've been studying with us. Well, what's about to happen is Jacob, who is also Israel, remember he wrestled with God and God changed his name to Israel. And so that's where we get the name Israel from. The 12 tribes of Israel are his 12 sons. Now, he gets to Egypt and he's there for 17 years and now he is literally on his deathbed. He's about to die. And it's been 17 years, even in Egypt, since Joseph has last seen him. And Joseph is going to come in, and we're going to watch Jacob, Israel's, last words to his son and his grandchildren. Now, there's a, a more of a blessing that's going to come next week, but I just want you to hear this, because what struck me this week as I was studying through this, as I was digging through this, is what was actually being spoken. And I think all of us in this room need to hear this today. All of us. So let me pray, and let's get to it. God, I thank you that your word is concise. I pray, Lord, that through all of the the maneuvering that has to happen in this particular text, you would allow me to communicate well enough that everyone will stay on the same track and we will be able to see really the context and the purpose and the point of this. And then, Lord, I ask that you would let each one of us 
through the power of your Holy Spirit, hear from you directly and let us apply it to our lives. This is your house, this is your day, and we proclaim your son Jesus as our redeemer. In his name we pray. Everybody in the place said, amen, amen, amen. All right, Genesis 48.1, here we go. So Genesis 48.1 says, after this, Joseph was told, behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Now remember, Manasseh and Ephraim were actually born in Egypt. So they did not come as part of the caravan from their homeland into Egypt. They were already in Egypt. And so he's ill, he's about to die, but he brings his two sons, Joseph does. And then it says this, verse 2. And it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel, which by the way, this is one of those where I told you last week, I'm like, I don't know why they're interchangeable. Jacob and Israel, why it doesn't just stay consistent with Jacob or Israel, but same, per, same one here, same thing. And so your son Joseph has come, then Israel summoned his strength and he sat up in his bed. And then in verse 3 it says, and Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz. Now Luz is Bethel. You guys remember Bethel's where he had the dream where the heavens opened up and the ladder ascended. There were angels ascending and descending. That was Luz. That's Bethel. He says, so God appeared to me in Bethel. He renamed it. Jacob renamed Luz Bethel. In the land of Canaan. And he blessed me. Now this is crazy talk here. Because if you've tracked along, Jacob is a very negative Ned. I don't know how many of you people have this person in your life who everything is always, always, always negative. Well, Jacob, if you've been tracking, he's always negative. So when I see him say something positive, I'm like, hold on, Nelly. What is happening? And so he is saying something positive. He's like, look, God blessed me. And then in verse 4, and God said to me, behold, behold. Now this is Jacob speaking to Joseph, telling him what God actually spoke to him. He said, behold, I will make you fruitful. And multiply you, and I will make you a company of peoples, and I will give this land to your offspring after you for everlasting possession. Give this land for everlasting possession. Oops. This land, everlasting possession. You know, this is a, let me get rid of this so I can just make sure you know this. Oh, you can't see it. I'm just drawn away up here. Can we catch it up, maybe? All right, this land. I'll just play for a second. This land. So he's talking about this land, this land. You know, this land that he is referencing. Jacob Israel is saying to Joseph, it's the same land that has been disputed for ages. Even today, if you happen to be brave enough to turn on the news, you're going to see that they're still fighting over whose land this is. The land that he's given is Israel. It is that Land that God blessed them with. Now, what's crazy, though, is because I see this right now, I'm going a little bit insane. I'm not going to lie, because I, I can't even watch news. I can't get on social media. Because, so Israel, 1948, God, I mean, God, close enough, the UN established Israel. I don't know, Freudian slip, I'm not sure. And so the UN actually established Israel as a nation. So, but before Israel, okay, before Israel, Philistine, or Palestine, occupied the people occupied that land and so what we see today is we see people saying give them back their land which one of the funniest moments that i could tell you from my past week is i'm watching the news and the university of maine and also uh virginia university of virginia they both both of them have college their students are out protesting give them back their land give them back their land 
and the University of Maine and the University of Virginia are both built on tribal grounds. I don't know. I shouldn't make light of it. I'm just thinking it's kind of humorous. Ironic, maybe, more than humorous. But so the problem is, is give them back the land. So what land? Who's going to give them back the land? Who owns this land? And I think that's the real question. The UN gave it to Israel, but Palestine says we were there first. Well, here's the thing that gets difficult. It's because before Palestine was there, before the Palestinian people were there, the Turks were there. So, so actually, does that mean Turkey owns this land? Because Turks were there before the Palestinians were there. Now, before the Turks were there, the Egyptians were there. And so is it the Egyptians' land? No, because before that, the Crusaders were there. So does that mean it belongs to the Crusaders? No, because before that, there were a ton of Arab tribes that were all fighting and battling. So should we give it back to all the Arab tribes? Well, we could, but the problem is, is before the Arab tribes were there, the Romans were there. So that's crazy. We should just give it to the Romans. But that's a problem because before the Romans, the Greeks were there. And it gets even more complicated because before the Greeks were there, the Jews were there. Before the Jews were there, the Babylonians were there. But the Babylonians had actually taken it from the Jews, and the Jews had taken it back from the Assyrians. And so before the Assyrians were there, the Canaanites were there. So that's just a short little history of whose land is it. (laughs) And the problem is, yeah, but the problem is... The problem is, is there are no more Canaanites. That's the problem. That's the problem. It's a real problem. But I would say that the crazy thing and the solution to this is, I'm going to see if I can fix this. Still says Joseph. Hey! So what we're talking about, sorry about the, sorry about the rant. I had to kill some time. And so... What's crazy, though, is this land that's being referenced here. There are no more Canaanites, but here's what it says in Leviticus 25, 23. This is God speaking of the land that is said land. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. So who does the land actually belong to? Not only did he create it, but he claimed it. He claimed it. And so I find myself looking at this scenario where Jacob is telling Joseph, Israel's telling Joseph, I am giving this land to you, and it is an everlasting possession. And he says in verse 5, And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben Simeon are. This is so cool. Israel saying, Jacob, I, Joseph, I know that you had these two children in Egypt. And they didn't travel with me as part of my tribe, but they are mine. He's claiming them. And I think it's really cool because, let me just break this down really fast because um, I want you to just put these pieces together. First of all, this is the uh, first time this is flipped, by the way. Ephraim and Manasseh. The first time we saw their names, Ephraim. Manasseh is the oldest. He's the firstborn. Okay, so Ephraim is the youngest. You've got to keep that in mind here in just a moment. But Israel had uh, 12 sons. So there's 12 tribes of Israel. Well, let me break these tribes down for you a second because there's actually 13 tribes. Because this land that he's talking about, this land that he's going to pass away, that he's going to give away, one of his sons was Levi. Well, Levi actually made up, made up the priestly line. And so of the 12 tribes, 
11 of them got land given to them. That was their blessing. Their blessing is going to get their land. The Levites didn't get any land. They got no land because God was their portion. They were going to be the spiritual leaders, and God was their portion. And so, really, there were 11 tribes. So, everywhere in the Bible, and there's 20 times we see the tribes of Israel listed. You're going to see the tribes of Israel that are listed, and they're always listed in a little bit different order. But what's fascinating about this list is Ephraim and Manasseh are always listed together as one tribe. They're never listed as the tribe of Joseph until Revelation chapter 7. When it's talking about the 144,000 elect, which we're not going to get into this. I'm just giving you a little, just want to give you this little side note. We're talking about the 144,000 elect. They all come from the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, those 12 tribes, if you read in Revelation 7, do your own research. There are two tribes that are actually removed from that list. The tribe of Dan and the tribe of Ephraim. And they're both removed because Ephraim does rise in power and he's going to rule, help rule in the northern kingdom. He brings idolatry and, false, and worship of false gods into the equation. So he's removed. Dan, the same thing, brings idolatry in. And so he's removed. And so in Revelation 7, Joseph, the only time we ever see the tribe of Joseph listed is in Revelation 7. And I only point this out because when it says that he was, they were becoming his Israel, Jacob was saying, they are mine as my, as my kids are. That means that when he's going to give out and proportion land, they are actually going to receive the father's blessing from their grandfather. So they are going to be one, part of the 12 tribes. It's kind of fascinating to me. I'm sorry, I think I just bored everybody in the room. Let's go to verse 10, see if I can get it back going. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age. I know what that feels like. So he could not see. So Joseph brought them near to him, and he kissed them, and he embraced them. So Joseph saw that his, his dad was, was trying to see his, his two sons, and so he brings them close to him so Grandpa can give them a little smoochie, hug on them a little bit. I don't think he sniffed them. That's a whole other deal. Um, but, but what did happen, uh, okay, but what did happen in verse 11 is Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face never expected to see your face. God has let me see your offspring also. I mean, he is absolutely blown away. I never expected to see. Have you ever seen someone unexpectedly? I've told this story multiple times over the last 15 years here, but I walked out of a building once when I was in college, and Tom Landry was standing there. Legendary coach Tom Landry, hat and all, was standing right in front of me, like never expected to see his face. It was like breathtaking. I took my breath away. Another time I walked around a corner, walked around a corner, and this means nothing to most of you, but some of you will make sense. I walked around the corner, and Mark Wahlberg is standing there. Didn't take my breath away, but it still was shocking. I did not expect, I did not expect to see his face. I don't know that I can understand this one yet. I think those that are grandparents in the room, just kind of let this set in for a moment. You don't see your child, which you thought was, was gone, was dead for 21 years. You, re, you reunite, and then 17 years later, they walk in, haven't seen them 17 years, thinking you're never going to see them again, and in comes your grandchildren. Like, I think it just sort of lands different with grandparents to say, I get to see not just my kids, but I get to see my grandkids. Like, I just, I think it hits grandparents a little bit different, but as he's laying this, he's putting his heart out there. He's like, man, I never expected to see anything like this. In verse 12, then Joseph, he went ahead and removed them from his knees. 
And then he bowed himself with his face to the earth. He bowed himself. This is a, this is a recall. All right, we got to do flashback real fast. This is flashback Sunday. Remember Joseph's original dreams. His original dreams were his brothers bowed down to him. Two of them. His brothers bowed down to him. Well, he is now absolutely surrendering his authority. He's surrendering everything he is, and he's bowing before his dad as a sign of not just respect, but he's saying, you are the authority over my life. Even though he's second in command in Egypt, he's not bowing down to Pharaoh here. He's bowing before his dad as an an ultimate sign of respect. I'm going to tell you now that um, I'm instilling this in my family. So when the kids walk in, they must bow before me. Now, it's such a, it's such a power, it's just in mind, it's a powerful scene. So he bows before him, and then Joseph, he gets up, he, take, and he took both of them, his, his two kids, Ephraim in his right hand, toward Israel's left hand, because that's his youngest son. So he knows that his dad's about to bless him, so he takes with his right hand, he takes his youngest son up so that as he faces his dad, his dad's left hand will be on Ephraim. And then it says, after that, if I can find my place again, Verse 13, and then he took Manasseh in his left hand, so his left hand, so he's coming to his dad, so that when they got face to face, then his right hand would be on Manasseh, the oldest one, okay? So he's setting them up to be blessed, and then it says in verse 14, and Israel stretched out his right hand, and he laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left on the head of Manasseh, crossing his arms... For Manasseh was the firstborn. Now, there is something in the Bible which is the law of the firstborn. The law of the firstborn means that they would get the authority. They got double portions during a blessing. And so when he crossed his hands, even though Joseph had brought his two children to Jacob, his dad, and he was just simply wanting right hand on the oldest so he gets the rightful blessing, Left hand on the youngest so that he gets blessed, but he's not getting double portion. And he's not being made authority over the family. When he does this, Israel crosses his arms in order that his hand of blessing, his right hand, is actually resting on the youngest youngest son's head. And in verse 15, and then he begins to bless him. And he blessed Joseph and he said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked... The God whom had been my shepherd all my life, all to this very day. He says, the angels who redeem me from all evil. Bless these boys. Bless the boys. And in them, let my name be carried on. And the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Verse 17, when Joseph saw that his father had laid his right hand on head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And so he took his father's hand, he moved it, he literally took his dad's hand, and he tried to recross him over. And when he does this, in verse 19, or verse 18, Joseph said to his father, he's like, no way, no, no, father, you've got this all wrong. Since this one is born first, put your right hand on his head. But then Israel, Jacob, said to his son Joseph, he said, No, 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 no. I know my son. I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, the younger brother shall be greater than he. This is a proclamation, and this doesn't, this might seem strange to us. Like, well, hold on, there's a natural order. There's a law of order in the Bible. Why is he breaking this? Oddly, 
even though there is a law of order of birth, we see this demolished over and over and over, where the younger brother will be greater. In fact, we see it with um, Jacob was the younger brother. Esau was older, but Jacob received the blessing. Um, We saw it with Isaac. Isaac was the younger brother. Ishmael was born first, and it was Hagar. Um, Let me keep going. There's some other ones. I don't remember what they are. Oh, Moses. Moses was the younger brother. Aaron was older than him, yet he carried the anointing of God. Probably the most notable that most people just kind of bypass is um, King David. When King David went to fight Goliath, we know the big story. We know the story. And so when he went to fight Goliath, he's the youngest. Samuel comes in. He's trying to pick out who's, which one is going to have the anointing of God on him. He doesn't go to Eliab, the oldest brother. He picks David, the youngest brother. And so we see this trend in this theme. There's a couple more. I can't remember them right now. There's, a, there's just a trend that carries on where the youngest receives a blessing. And so this is not altogether strange. It's not altogether strange. In fact, it's relatively normal. In verse 20, He went on and he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel will will pronounce blessings, saying, God, make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Now, I don't know that you understand what just happened here, so I want to say this to you. This is Jacob actually saying, look, in generations to come, when parents pray a blessing over their kids, they're going to pray, make my kids like Ephraim and Manasseh. They're going to be so great, they're going to, parents are going to pray that their kids are like you two. That's what he was saying. You know, like now it's, it's I don't know, who do you want your kids to be like? You're, you're shaping them right now, so who do you want your kids to be like? You want to be like Mike? I want to be like Mike. You want to be like Babe Ruth? I don't know. Some of you spend enough time on the baseball fields, I think it's what you want. What do you want? Honestly, this is, a, this is a fair question for you just to rest in in just a moment. If you are, don't have kids in the room right now, I, I'm just, I'm sorry that I'm laboring on this, but I need to know what you want your kids to be. Are you doing what you need to be doing? Are you praying the blessings over them? Are you asking, are you speaking Jesus over them in order that they can actually be who you desire them to be, who God desires them to be? I think we get lost in this world because we think this is it. We think that we want our kids to be great on planet Earth. And so we need to give them all of this. We want them to do this, to accomplish this. But the reality is, is when parents fail to speak Jesus over their children, look around. Just look around. Look around. Okay, so... I want to say this before I get going, before I finish here, because I want to make sure I get this. So thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. So Ephraim was the youngest, but he's going to go ahead of him. This law, this establishment, this blessing carried on through the generations. I just want to give you one time stamp here. In Jeremiah chapter 31, go ahead and take me to verse 9 of Jeremiah. Uh, go, go one more verse. There you go. Um, so this is God speaking through Jeremiah to the people. He says, with weeping they shall come, uh, and with pleas for mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by the brooks of water and straight paths in which they shall not stumble. For I am the father of Israel. So this is God proclaiming, look, I am the God of Israel. Look at this for here. And Ephraim is my firstborn. 
So Ephraim was not the firstborn. He has received the blessing of the firstborn, the authority of the firstborn. In other words, what I need you to know here is the heir that he now holds is because he was actually touched by his grandfather and given that blessing. I think sometimes when we hear things like we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, I think sometimes we hear things like his righteousness rests on us, we forget that God crossed his arms and he took the blessing and the righteousness that only belongs to Christ and he actually puts that and places that on us in order that we can come into his presence, in order that we can walk with him. And so you see this moment here where God's saying, look, Ephraim is recognized, the authority has been passed on, so it wasn't just something that old grandpa decided to do. It was blessed by God. Next verse, keep going with me in verse 48, chapter 48, verse 21. Then Joseph, or then Israel said to Joseph, behold, here we go, here we go, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Okay, okay, so... I know that we've seen Jacob a couple times. Israel a couple times. Jacob has a couple times said, I'm about to die. It's the end of the road for me. It's all over. We, I know we've seen that a couple times. But this time, it's, it's truth. He really is about to breathe his last breath. But I want you to see what he says. But God will be with you. That's a promise. I love that. And he will bring you again to the land of your father's. Joseph has been in Egypt for over 30 years now, and he's risen to power. And Egypt is far superior in technology and advancement. I mean, he was living large. And for him to say, don't worry, you're going to go back to the slums. It's going to be fine. It's going to be great. He's actually proclaiming, you are going to go. You know what he was saying to him? He was saying, Joseph, I need you to remember, son. I know that you've got a lot of good things around you. You've got a nice house. Your kids are doing well. You've got a nice car. It's got wheels. That's impressive. But Joseph, son, I need you to know this is not your home. I need you to know this is not your home. I want that to sink in for just a moment because I think sometimes we build our lives around this concept and this idea that this the world we live in today is our home. And God's word is very faithful and very consistent to remind us this is not our home. This is a temporary dwelling place. Our bodies are failing and they are temporary. Our souls are eternal. And God himself has proclaimed that he is building a place for us. Heaven will be established an eternal home for us. And so when we leave this temporary place, we actually enter into our permanent home. Over Thanksgiving, I was at, uh, we were in, I don't know where I was at. I was at somewhere. I was at a lake somewhere. I wish I could tell you where I was at, but I really can't. At any rate, Lake Texoma. I was at Lake Texoma, I think. Something, is that where I was? How do you know where I was? I told you? Oh, okay. That makes me feel a little more comfortable. And uh, <laughs> so we're there, and so we're sitting, and we got these little cabins, and so we're sitting in our cabin, and I'm sitting there, and I look out the window, and I see my sister-in-law. Um, she's got a coffee in one hand and a phone in the other hand, and she's scrolling through, and she's walking up the deck of the cabin next door to us. 
And she's walking over and she's turning and I see her and I know she's about to walk in. And so I start banging on the window. Somebody else starts yelling, hey, that's not our house. That's not our home. That's not, that's not our cabin. And she looks up and she kind of startles her. Woo! And she turns and she walks off. Well, the people that were staying there are like looking out the door like, who is this? But we're screaming, this is not your home. This is what Jacob, Israel, is saying to Joseph. This is not your home. This is what I stand up here every single week that I get the privilege to teach to you. And I proclaim to you, this is not your home. We live like this is it. This is good, as good as it's going to get. And it's not. So we are missing the promises and the blessing of God because we live as if this is what God has prepared for us. This is not your home. And when you live like this is your home, you are not only going to miss out on the promises of God, but you're going to miss out on the longing that's supposed to dwell in us for Beulah land. What's in us for heaven. What's in us to be with him. What's in us to actually walk and see Jesus. To actually walk through the gates of heaven. And as we walk through the gates of heaven, what is that going to be like? I, I did a funeral this past week with one of the most um, courageous women that I've probably ever met. Uh, she actually had a book where she wrote notes from sermons. and It was just such an incredible celebration of life. But as she was um, about to go to be with the Lord, I was sitting in by her bed, and I actually was talking to her, and I said, hey, so, and she knew the Lord well, okay? But when I said, I said to her, I was like, hey, when you get to the gates of heaven, and this is within just, um, this is the, almost the last words. I think they are the last words she spoke, by the way. Within the last hour of her life, I said, when you get to heaven, what are you, you going to say? She said, with all the energy she could muster up, she said, I'm going to tell them that I tried really hard. I said, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're going to say only Jesus. They say, why should we let you in? You're going to say only Jesus. And so she said, okay. She kind of nodded her head. I said, so when you get to the gates of heaven, what are you going to say? She's going to say, I, I try to do good with everybody. I said, no, you're not. <laughs> That's not what you're going to say. And she goes, okay, okay, okay. I said, you're going to say only Jesus. I want you to say that with me. She said, only Jesus. Let's say it again. She said, only Jesus. And again, I'm talking, she is really, really out of strength here. And then I said, so when you get to the gates of heaven, what are you going to say? And she said, only Jesus. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And those are the final thoughts that I would want you to have in your heart. Those are the actual first thoughts I would want you to have in your mind when you wake up in the morning. Those are the only thoughts that I would want to exist in you as you journey through this life. Only Jesus, only Jesus. I want to focus on the fact that this is not my home, that he has promised to prepare a place for us. He said, if it were not so, I would not tell you. And so for us to remember that this is temporary, that this is not our everlasting home, it changes our perspective. Because the bad's not quite so bad. And the good, well, it's not quite as good. Because it gives us a perspective that this is not our home. I want to tap into this. Let me give you one more verse here. Verse 22. Moreover, listen to this. I have given to you, rather than to your brothers, on mountain slope that I took from the, from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. He looks at Joseph. He's like, look, this is not your home. And not only is this not your home, but I took some land I mean, I captured this land, I took this land, I did it myself, and I'm giving it to you. 
Now, I don't know what you hear when you see that, but I hear, okay, so Joseph is getting the double portion. As he passes out, as Jacob passes out the land to the 12 tribes, he's giving him a double portion. But what I found fascinating is the land, this mountain slope, this land, I don't have time to do it today. Do your own research and find out what land this was that he actually gave to him. It's crazy. Do it yourself. And if you want to ask me afterwards, I'll tell you. But it's crazy. It's seriously just mind-blowing. But it was him saying, this is not your home. There's something better for you, and it's not just land. I actually got a mountaintop land just for you. This is a dad, this is a father telling his son, don't live like this is where it's at. I need you to be preparing to go home. I want to tell us as a body of people today, look, our lives and our days, our moments, we should be preparing as if we're trying to get back to our home. Your perspective on life should be eternal. Our perspective on the way that we actually walk through this life should be that this place is temporary and heaven is eternal. And so the key question is, how do we fight the urge to live today and actually know that that is what we long for? First step is understanding only Jesus. It means that you don't work on this earth in order that you can have eternal life. You actually faith Jesus, you proclaim Jesus' name in order that you can have eternal life. So that home that we should long for That is heaven. The reality is, is when we long for this earth, what we actually are longing for is the absence of God, and it's a rejection of God, and that actually sends us to another eternal home, which is separation from God. So we either can be connected and with God, or we can be separated and disconnected from God, and that is eternal. Eternally. And there's only one connector. There's only one way for us to connect to God. Jesus said in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father, nobody connects to the Father, nobody has an eternal home with the Father, but by me. So as she laid there and she said, only Jesus, she was proclaiming what we have to proclaim, and it is only Jesus. And so I know that in this room today, there are some of us who are living so much for today that we're not even considering him. And I want to see if today if you would change your perspective. Simply proclaiming, I need Jesus. Speaking Jesus over our family, incredible. Speaking Jesus over our city, incredible. But you know what? Sometimes you have to just speak Jesus over yourself as well. And that is how you receive Christ as your Savior. By believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Who in here today? You're just staring at me. So who in here today? knows that you are without the Lord, that it is your day to give yourself to Christ, to speak his name and say, only Jesus. Who is that today in this place? If it's you, you can keep your eyes open and you can just stare at me, but I want you just to sit right there in the silence of your seat. I want you to say, God, today, I know that I'm living for this world. The pleasures of this world, the things of this world have captivated me. They have separated my joy. They have separated my hope. They have separated me from truth. And so God, today I am speaking the name Jesus over my life. I am proclaiming Jesus, my Savior. Right where you said, God, I'm saying only Jesus. The only way I can come to you is through him. And so God, today I proclaim my faith in your son, my Savior, Jesus Christ. I want you to bow your heads with me, close your eyes. God, in this room, I believe that some just echoed that prayer. Now, Lord, what I pray is that you would allow it not just to be something that they've echoed in their mind or their 
with their mouths, but Lord, it would be echoed in their soul. And you would affirm to them that this is a day of change, a day of transformation for them. So Lord, what I pray is that as we, each one of us in this room, find ourselves sitting, kneeling, standing before you, whether it's at your gates, or it's here today, or it's in a grocery store, it's on a walk in our neighborhood, it's in our home. We are men and women who proclaim only Jesus. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. If that's your truth today, would you say that out loud? That we said, only Jesus. One more time, only Jesus. Thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy. In your son's name we pray. Amen. 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 Maybe today.